It's good to be here. My name is Ryan Anderson. I've pastored. I've done other things in my life as well, but um, I'm very honored to be just a brief part of tonight. And when somebody who's pastored says brief, it's a lie, pretty much. So y'all just strap in. We're going to get through it tonight. But Dave, I'm very honored to be able to be on stage and to be here to watch you be ordained tonight and everything that God's done through you, young man. It's unbelievable. Started out with you asking me questions I didn't know how to answer because they were too philosophical, and I'm not that kind of guy, really, not at all. But I knew the Lord would reach you because we all prayed that he would reach you, and I'll never forget that day. That's a memory that's just seared into my brain that night when you gave your life to the Lord, and then just watch what God's done through you over the past several years. I'm so proud of you. I mean, the devil can never take guys like you and Tim and Allie and people that are a part of my youth group, you can never take that away, no matter what happens. And to see you walking into, you've been doing your calling anyway. This is just a title. But somebody, you didn't need a title to do your calling. That's a man of God there. That's a faithful man of God there. Really, really proud of you, Dave. And I cannot wait to see what God does through you. And we don't have to say elder elect anymore. We can just call you elder Dave, you know. Or maybe Brother Dave. You'll love that one. You'll love that one when you go to church. Hey, just don't steal all my weddings, though. Daddy needs new shoes. That's how I make my money, okay, with the weddings. If you're happy to be here tonight, say amen. Amen, amen, amen. I just um, want to share a scripture with you just to get things started. Is anybody else just, I don't know if anybody's discouraged or frustrated or confused by everything we see going on around us right now. I mean, I know this has been like the opening remarks to every message that's preached in 2020 because we just don't know what's going to happen. You know, tonight the rapture could happen, clothes could be left there, dad will be wondering where everybody's at. It could be crazy tonight, you know. It'd be unbelievable. Yes, got one in. But nothing would surprise me this year but the rhetoric you know what I've recognized? Like, I've grown up in small towns where everybody's pretty good to one another, except they gossip about one another behind each other's backs. They don't even do that anymore. Well, they go online because they're cowards. They get online and fight online behind a screen because they're cowards. But, I mean, it's been crazy to watch what's happening. And I don't know about you. Sometimes I find myself just being angry a lot. And not the, not the biblical, like I try to justify it like the whole Jesus with the whip kind of angry, but it's not that kind of anger. I found myself frustrated by what I see going on. But then I have to step back and I have to remember that the world's going to do what the world's going to do. Amen? Amen? The world's going to do what the world is going to do. And those folks out there, they are our mission field. All right? But we have forgotten something so important as the church, what we are called to do. Listen, ultimately what we are called to do, I know there's things that we need to be a part of and there's uh, ministries that we need to develop and things that we can do for our community, but we are called to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have forgotten that. And we participate in the mudslinging and the rhetoric of everything that's going on in this contentious political season. And all the things that happen. We're we reactive people, too. We don't sit back and wait on evidence anymore. We want to react. And if you're on one side, you react one way. If you're on the other side, you react that way. And the church has gotten themselves in the middle of it, too. I'm watching the church of Jesus Christ forget who they are. 
I'm watching the church of Jesus Christ attempt to conform to the culture by molding the Word of God around the ideologies of the world. If a church does that, listen to me, and you're seeing it all over in this year. If a church does that, if they try to mold the world's ideologies around the world of God, they are a compromised church. Compromised. But in the same breath, a church that complains about the destructiveness of the culture yet doesn't engage the culture by being his witnesses in the hands and feet of Jesus is an apathetic, powerless church. we got to remember who we are. What did Jesus tell us to do? Go. Preach the gospel. Baptize them. Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. we got to risk a little bit for the gospel of Jesus Christ. My loyalty is not to my country more than my God. My loyalty is not to a political party more than it is to my God. But we have a lot happening in our culture that bothers me, and we participate in it too. See, I grew up in church, and I've seen the ugliness of church, and I guess it's what they did in church. Like I, Sometimes I wonder why I'm in church because of the things that I've seen in church. But I can't blame some bad eggs for God's bride. I can't do that at all. But I've seen some ugly things. But there's something that's happening culturally now, and it, 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 it's, just, it's, it's disturbing. People are losing their jobs. People are being attacked viciously online. They're being, they've had people show up at their homes. It's cancel culture. Everybody say cancel. Everybody say it loud, cancel. Well, let me show you the only kind of cancel culture that we need. We're calling this message what God is doing because that's what we need to focus on. Because if all you look, if all you see is the things going on and how depressing it is, and I know there's some very difficult things happening and people have gotten sick and people have gotten hurt and we just don't know what's going to happen one day to the next. 2020, I, I'm, just, I'm not even surprised by anything that happens anymore. Sometimes I spend too much time reading about the things that happens, but if all I do is focus on that, no wonder I'm discouraged because God is still working. Did you hear what he said? We baptized more people this year than whatever. Is that what you said? The last several years? God's working right now. God is working. But I miss God working because I focus on everything that's working out there, that's doing it out there. I get on Facebook and focus on that person that I don't ever really even talk to anyway and what they say and what I'm going to say back to them. Actually, I just stop scrolling. You don't see me scrolling. Nope. Or swiping. Don't do that either. I don't scroll. Not that I don't want to see what y'all do because some of you guys are trying to tell me what kind of lizard you are because you took a quiz. Another one of you, you know, on Facebook are just telling me, you know, what your point is, and then people fight. And, and I've said this time and time again. I've never had anybody come up to me and go, you know, Ryan, I thought one way, but I saw that Facebook comment that you put online, and all of a sudden I have changed my mind. It has disconnected us, folks. But what we have happening now is very disturbing. People are being canceled left and right. But let me tell you about the real cancel culture. Colossians 2, 13 through 15, if you want to put that on the screen there for me. It says, when you were dead, listen to this, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, since Dave's going to be an elder, I'll let you explain that part tonight. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Good news. You were dead and if you're in Christ, you're alive. That's some good news. That's some good news. If you can collapse for your political 
opponent of choice, you can clap because you've been made alive in Jesus Christ. Let us not forget that. We've been made alive in Jesus Christ. He has forgiven us, saying, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven all my transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. Man, we had a lot going against us. We owed a debt. We owed a big-time debt. This isn't the creditor's calling. We owed the debt to the holy God, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it away, having nailed it to the cross. Hallelujah. Amen. We were dead, dead men, dead women. And then Jesus called into our grave and said, come forth. And you know what happened, Christian? We came out of that grave and been made alive in Jesus Christ, standing forgiven, debt canceled. That's the only kind of canceling we need, folks. Now, there's some good canceling. When I was in school, and it didn't snow a whole lot in West Tennessee. It could have a drizzle outside, but be 31 degrees, and they would cancel school. That was a good cancel. That was a good cancel. Probably canceling your Netflix right now, that's probably a good cancel as well. But we have canceling happening all over our culture because if somebody is unwilling to conform to the way that somebody else thinks, they almost try to dominate them and force them into just speaking the words, which I don't know why you would want somebody to just speak the words. Wouldn't you want to see it in their actions anyway? Don't we preach that all the time here in the church? You can't just honor God with your lips and not with your life. You can say things all you want, but if it's not in your heart, it's not real. But that's the way the world works here. And if somebody doesn't conform to the way they think, they try to cancel them. There's people that have lost their jobs because they were unwilling to, you know, conform to the way that some people thought. Or they go digging up old tweets when people were 12 years old. And everybody that's 12 years old is kind of dumb. You know, they say stupid things. They dig up old tweets and they want to get them fired from their job. It's crazy. We got canceling all around us. And they say it's a political ideology, but it's not a political ideology. It's religious dominance. That's what's happening right now culturally. And the church is just sitting by scared. Doing nothing, not for, forgetting that we've been made alive in Christ. Made alive in Christ. And so we talk about the systems. The systems are broken. They're broken. They're broken. They're broken. And the systems of this world, they are broken. Systems that are run by flawed human beings are broken. Systems that are run by countries with flawed human beings are broken. I wonder if I have any flawed human beings in this room. All right, if you run a system, it's going to be a little flawed. It's going to be a little broken. But let me submit to you tonight that our systems are broken because we're flawed. So really, the systems are broken because of sin. Sin is what's destroying us more than anything else in the world. Not some president that tweets too much. Not some guy that's going against him. Not anything like that. The systems are broken around us because people are sinful at their hearts. Sin is the problem. And sin enslaves all of us from the time that we're born. Woo, isn't that fun? We owe God a lot. And a lot of people are going to die in their sin. And it's going to be their life that they've lost. We're a slave to the system of sin. But as good human beings, what we tend to do is try to fix the system outside of God. We try to fix the system with ourselves. 
And we attempt to try to make things better ourselves. And we might be able to tweak systems and things need to get better. And from time to time, things are bad and it needs to get better. I understand that. But overall, sin is at the heart of every problem. Anybody that's prejudiced against somebody else because of the color of the skin or where they're from in this world, it is because of sin. That's right. It's because of sin. In the same way that anybody that would gossip about somebody else and not go to them if they've got a problem, it's because of sin. Our political systems are messed up because of sin. But listen, folks, listen to me. We don't need a new system. We need a Savior. That's exactly what we need. And let us not forget, this world is not our home. We're in the world, not of the world. We're peculiar people. So, and there's so many churches. I mean, I've even seen it in some of our mainstream denominations that are afraid to speak the truth because they don't want to lose people from coming to their church. But we're in the world, not of the world, and not everything we say is pleasant. Not every time that I read the Bible do I think, wow, that was really pleasant, God. Sometimes I'm like, God, that kind of stinks. I don't like that. But he does it for my good because I'm a slave to the system of sin. And I'm being made alive in Jesus and Christ, and I don't need to be enslaved back to those kind of things. We need a Savior. And gentlemen that are being ordained tonight, remember your primary goal is the gospel of Jesus Christ above anything else. Above anything else. That's what saves people. We need that Savior. But we, as the Americans right now, we watch a political debate last week, and we look at two people and think, well, that's the Savior, and that's the Savior. That's not the Savior. That's not the Savior at all. That won't fix what needs to be fixed in the human heart. Because without Jesus, we are dead. If you don't have Jesus in this place tonight, you are dead in your sins. The wages of sin is death. But like good human beings, what we do is try to fix it on our own, and all you're doing is putting lipstick on a zombie. That's it. Making it look a little bit better. That does not fix the problem. Now look what we have. Look what we have. Because maybe some people have been focused on their paneled houses. Maybe some people are compromising the Word of God. I don't know. It's all because of sin. We have violence and we have this rhetoric that's out of control right now. We have disrespect from younger people. We have things happening, you know, sexually that just, you wouldn't believe it. If, you, if, if I said it from the stage, it would, it would be embarrassing for me to even uh, reiterate to you some of the things that I've read about that's going on. But it's because of sin. And we're trying to attack it on our own, attempting attempting to cancel people on our own, cancel things on our own. If somebody doesn't conform, we're going to cancel them. If you won't do what I want you to do, I'll just cancel you. But let me tell you, what we read right here, remember this. Remember, culture cancels the person, but Jesus cancels the problem. The culture can go out and try to cancel people, whatever. But Jesus actually cancels our problem, Christian, because you know what? I was dead. That's a problem. He forgave me, made me alive. Now I'm new in him, walking in him. Let us not forget, gentlemen, that are getting ordained tonight. We have the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. He nailed it to the cross. He settled it. It is finished. God is good. Let us not forget the good news, and let us not forget our Savior. I'm going to turn it over to your pastor right now. Thank you, bud.
When God cancels the sin problem, he does it, the New Testament talks about this, through a calling. You see, I think what might be wrong sometimes in the world today is we think that coming to Christ means God forgives us, but then it's like, you know, we don't have any responsibility back to him afterwards. If you're in Jesus Christ tonight, you have been called to this. And everything that we're talking about, what God is doing, that's what he does. When he cancels your sin, he also calls you to life. I'm going to focus in quickly from Ephesians 4 and show you what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Ephesus and saying to you tonight and saying to our men that we're ordaining tonight. The Apostle Paul says in verse 1 that I'm therefore I the prisoner of the Lord. Did, did he say prisoner? That doesn't sound like he's just got the right to say what goes on in his life. He says, no, I belong to the Lord. I have been called to this. I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to what? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Say calling. You see, if the sin debt has been canceled in your life, then you've been called to a new life. Walk worthy, he says, of the calling which you've been called. And then he describes it with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Weighty words tonight. We are not just people that are flung into the world with no responsibility. On the contrary, when he cancels us and cancels the sin in our life, he changes what was against us to something that is for us, and he calls us to something positive. We have been called to life. That is to follow Jesus. Paul said he followed Jesus. When Jesus was here physically, he walked around and told people, come follow me. Now to come follow Jesus means you can't follow what you used to follow. And what God is doing tonight is he's calling people to follow him in life. It's an invitation to live. That's the good thing when Jesus cancels the sin as Pastor Ryan said, he gives us life. Ladies and gentlemen, we are alive from the dead. And as such, the life that he has given us is moving us to follow him and to live differently. You want to know what's wrong in the church in America today? Is the church many times looks just like the world. The church sometimes is consisting of people that have the same values of the world, practice the same behavior of the world, and we wonder why God won't bless our country. I don't know about you tonight, but I want to get on with what God is doing. And you know, when he gives me life, he gives me the ability to live the new lifestyle, when he talks about humility, let's be honest. How many of you have humility without God's help? You see, the whole essence of sin is selfishness, which means that I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to have my way. Amen? 
But Paul says we live in humility. The only way that I can be humble is through the Holy Spirit working in me. Say amen right there. Humility and gentleness. Is anybody gentle? (laughs) Social media is not a gentle place, right? It's kind of useless most of the time. I like what he said. It's it brings the idea of connection, but there's no connection there at all. You see what the human heart is looking for is the connection of a church. You see, he's talking about the church. That we're humble with each other in the church. We're gentle with one another in the church. Patience. Patience means slowness in avenging wrongs. Tolerance for one another. In one place, Paul says that we accept one another as Christ has accepted us. Diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. You know what that means? That we don't have the attitude of it's going to be my way. We have the attitude of how can we work together? Because if Jesus Christ has canceled what's wrong with me, and Jesus Christ has canceled what's wrong with you, then we can work together. We're called to life and to a lifestyle He calls it the bond of peace. It means that I am more like Christ and less like my old self. Is that what happened to you? When you came to Jesus, did he change you that way? And as you progress in growth in Jesus' name, are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you becoming more like your old self? That old man is dead. It's been put out, hasn't it? It's been canceled. Why would anyone want to go back and live in those old ways? Anybody remember where you used to be? Why would anybody go back to the chaos of the old life? You see, God's calling us to life, to a lifestyle, and then God calls leadership. That's what we're doing tonight. God raises up leaders. From the very beginning of the church history, God has been raising up leaders. We have read the words of the Apostle Paul, who was a leader in the first century church. And as leadership is called here, I want to make a few comments about that. And as I get ready to do that, I want to ask the men that are going to be ordained to join me on the front row here. Pastor Blake is already there. Because I want to explain what leadership really is. Now, many people have heard of leadership, and they think in terms of, I'm the boss. Anybody remember that? You think about that? Leadership means I'm the boss. I tell people when I counsel married couples... I tell any, either one of them, if you go home and you have to say to somebody at home that you're the boss, and that means you're not. If you have to go into your job and tell everybody you're the boss, then you're not. You see, the leader is the person that someone else is following. Leadership is not a position. As we talk about the biblical role of eldership, it's in the Bible And not many churches today practice this biblical role, but we do. What it means is is that we are going to lay hands on these five men, and these five men are going to be charged with taking spiritual oversight of this church. 
And it doesn't mean that they walk around and say, I'm the boss. Because I've been in too many churches to know that if you're running around like that, you certainly aren't the boss, and you will find out quickly that you're not the boss. Doesn't make sense anyway, does it? Because there's not one of these five men that wants to dominate anybody in this room. Leadership is a high and holy calling. The Bible says not for anyone to want it quickly. Because if you get into leadership too quickly, the Bible says the devil can inflate your ego and knock you down. That's why we wait before we do this. We, I think the church decided to do this last year, and here it's October. Some of these guys wondered if it was ever going to happen. See, I, I like what the Bible says. There's no reason to be in a hurry. Leadership begins with God. The Bible talks about Paul when he talks about being called by God in Galatians 1. He said, when God, who set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his, through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul was called, beginning with God, to be a preacher and the one that we call the apostle. We believe that these men have been called by God to lead here. Leadership also develops through following. You see, if you can't be a good follower, you'll never be a good leader. God calls us to life and a lifestyle, and many people will go into leadership, whether it's biblical eldership, whether it's pastoring a church, whether it's leading a small group, whether it's leading your family. You can be a person of influence, but you will never be a good leader until you're first a good follower. You see, that's the sense of authority. You have to have a sense of authority. If someone has no ability to follow, then they simply cannot lead because they don't understand it. The Apostle Paul says after three years, he went up to stay with Peter for a while and stayed with him for 15 days. Paul was someone who followed before he led. Leadership is also seen in influence. When the leader comes into the room, the people know that the leader's in the room. It's influence, not position. You all know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of places where somebody might be a manager at work, but they're not leading the thing. It's whoever is serving and has the most influence in that company that is actually the leader. I learned this from John Maxwell years ago when he took his first church in Hillham, Indiana. And I'm pretty grateful that God didn't send me to Hillham. And he said it was a very small church, and he walked in thinking that he was the leader, and he found out after the first elders meeting that he was not the leader. There was a gentleman named Claude, an older gentleman that had been with the church for 50 years, and everyone in the church looked to Claude as the leader, and he found out, if I'm going to lead this church, I need to learn from Claude. Because he found out that leadership is influence, not position. If I left this, this church today and this church laid hands on one of these gentlemen to be the pastor of the church, they would be the pastor in position, but it would take them several years to become the leader. That's how it is. That's why when a pastor goes to a new place, it takes a while before the church begins to warm up to him. I've, I've got a friend in Alaska that I've been talking with this week. He just started about three months ago, and he's just now becoming 
aware of the situation he's in, and he's learning to be a leader. This is what we're doing. Leadership is developed through following and learning to grow in influence. Ladies and gentlemen, you can be a leader if you want to. You don't become a leader by getting the most votes. You become the leader by influencing the most people. And Jesus was a servant leader. Tell me, was there anybody more authoritative than Jesus? No. And what did you see him doing? He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. These men have served this church. And they're ready for this tonight. Leadership is also accepting responsibility. When you have somebody that's saying it's somebody else's problem, that's not a leader. A leader owns the problem. Even if the leader didn't do it, because here, here's the thing right now. If my church experiences a problem, guess what? I'm the, I'm the leader here, so guess what? It's on me, whether I did it or not. Leaders ex accept responsibility. Are you leading your home? Then accept the responsibility. Are you leading somewhere on the job? Accept the responsibility. Do you want to lead here in church? Then accept the responsibility. Leaders don't say, why don't those people do different? Leaders say, how can we make it different? Does that make sense to you? That's what these guys do. These guys work behind the scenes. They work sometimes when no one's here. I have heard stories. Of course, I didn't uh, experience it myself, but I've heard stories about them being here early on Saturday morning, working till late on Saturday night, putting things like lights up, things like that. They do things that you don't even know about, and they don't expect anybody to walk up and pat them on the back. You know why? They just simply want to lead and influence and serve God. And that's the kind of people I want leading in my church, don't you? Now... God is calling them to leadership, and tonight I just want to say the Bible will charge them. I'm going to read to you what the Scripture says about the biblical office of eldership. This is from the Apostle Paul, a leader in his own right, and he says to Titus, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. And so what's an elder look like? Here it goes. An elder must live a blameless life. That's pretty heavy. He must be faithful to his wife. And his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. Hello. An elder is a manager of God's household. So he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout, disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught, as Pastor Ryan was saying. That's what God has entrusted to us. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it that where they are wrong. That's why we have Dave. That's a heavy calling, isn't it? And I want to tell you, any person who is being honest and humble will never look at that list and say, got it. And what this is, this is giving us what elders' lives look like. It doesn't mean that they never fail. But they are not known for these negative things. 
works. You don't see them running around doing what the world does. You don't see them taking advantage of people in business deals. You don't see them spending time in places where they ought not spend time. You don't hear about uh, immorality in their lifestyle. You don't hear about their children being completely rebellious and wild. And you don't look at their lifestyle and see that everything is out of order. They are people who practice biblical lifestyles. You see, that's the whole thing about the Bible. When the Bible says this is what we are to do, and the Bible has some lists sometimes about some things that are not supposed to be a part of the Christian experience, and they're found in Galatians chapter 5, known as the works of the flesh. And, and when Paul lists them in Galatians chapter 5, he says, People that practice these such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the key word is practice. It means we don't make a habit out of it. I mean, you guys, you've sinned, you failed. We fail. But the thing about leadership is, and the thing about following Christ is, we don't go in and say, well, we're just going to fail God. You're just going to have to forgive me. No, we say, we don't want to live that way. And that's what we're doing tonight. The Bible is charging you. I'll say it again. I'll say it directly to you. Live the blameless life. Somebody will say, well, I know somebody that said something bad about one of these guys. Let me say this. Even Jesus had his critics. Just because someone says something negative about me doesn't mean that it's true. And anybody can criticize any one of these guys. You want to find fault in us? You don't have to look very far. Amen? Just be grateful we're not looking at you. Look at your neighbor and say, no, don't do that. We want to keep the bond of peace here, right? Live a blameless life. Be faithful to your wife. I think all of you guys are. Your children, believers, don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. You know what that means? That means you set a good example in your home. Does that mean that your children can't fail? It doesn't mean that. It means that you set a good example in your home. At the end of the day, my children, when they be, particularly when they become adults, they have to apply what I've taught them to the best of their ability. And, you know, this is not a situation where we're trying to be legalistic. We're just saying this is how we live. We follow God. And I want to tell you one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned is as I learned to follow God, my family began to follow me. You go home and demand that your family follow you, they're not going to do it like that. Jesus doesn't lecture us into the kingdom of God. People follow Jesus. You know why? Because it's a better way to live. Be a manager of God's household. In other words, this is, your, this is God's house. God is calling for you to manage it, to make sure things are done, to make sure that people don't fall through the cracks, to make sure that the gospel gets preached, to make sure that the people that come on this platform are people that actually believe what they're saying they believe. And when someone preaches in this platform, we're not putting up here someone that believes something differently than what the Bible says. We're not putting people up here to speak and to sing when they don't believe what the Bible teaches. That's our job. Not be arrogant or quick-tempered. 
not be a heavy drinker. We're not going to be about substance abuse. Not violent, dishonest with money. Suffice it to say, we'll be people that are going to realize that money doesn't belong to us anyway. It belongs to God. These men exemplify this. Live wisely and be just. Live a devout and disciplined life. Strong belief in the trustworthy message. Let me just ask you. You guys believe the gospel? You're willing to live your life for this. And lay your life down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as much as is in you to serve this church as a wise and servant leader. Not lording over these people, but serving them in the name of Jesus. What we're doing is we're ordaining them. That means to appoint them to set in place. And we have judged these men based upon their lifestyle. And in many places when ordination happens, they have a system where we, or, we observe them in the moment. But I want to present to you tonight, those of you in this hearing, this church has already judge these men to be faithful as servants of God. And tonight, as the Bible charges them, I will say to you in a celebratory note, the church confirms what God is doing. We confirm what God is doing. God has called us to life. Amen? God has called us to a lifestyle. Amen? And God is raising up leadership tonight. And thank God here tonight that these five men sit before us who are going to take on the task of leading this church. Praise God, this church has a good future. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's praise God together. And so as we say the church confirms, understand this in the New Testament, the Bible and the apostles were the ones that appointed the elders in the early church today we seek out these men and we try to discern the calling of God. And as the Bible talks about when the church selected elders, let me just read to you from Acts chapter 6 and when I'm about done. The Bible says, Brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, and we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And the Bible says the statement found approval with the whole congregation. That's what I'm saying to you tonight. God calls, God's raising up, the Bible charges, and we confirm it. Eastland Life Church agrees with what we're doing here tonight.